in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. These brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, Destin Melbarnes, Lizzie Haynes, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Welcome all you lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. Welcome to the show where we watch movies and then talk about them. I'm your host, Russell Guest, and joining me today are my good friends and co-host from right here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Mr. Chad Robinson. How you doing, sir? I am excited for some comedy tonight. All right. And from the Lone Star State, deep in the heart of Texas, Mr. Dustin Melbardis. How you doing, sir? I, Dustin R. Melbardis. In war, the most admired. In wit, the most inspired. And in love, the most desired. Russell, I'm ready. Nice. I like it. I like it. You're going to have to, you're going to have to put away your cowboy hat for tonight and get those olive leaves. Oh no, the cowboy hat. Hey, in dress, the most displayed. I am a parade. Chad, I don't think we have any stereotypical wardrobe here in Pittsburgh, so you'll you'll just have to put. Oh yeah, yeah, your, your steel hard hat. There you go. You have to take your steel mill hard hat off, and you know, go for a toga. The village person wanted it back, anyways. <laughs> you get to loan, loaned it out. Now today we're going to be doing a musical, kind of. But um, <laughs> what is your favorite stage performance or a musical or play that you saw in a theater? Dustin. Russell, I know you like Les Miserables. I also like Les Miserables. And the first time I saw it, I was lucky enough to go in Chicago, where the performance was still using the rotating stage, which if you've seen the show, they amended it later in its run to where the sets would come in from the side. But at first, there used to be a great dynamic with essentially everything on stage being on a big turntable that would rotate. It was absolutely wonderful. And there's a soldier in the musical who lets off like a warning shot. And at this performance, they had put that actor up in the seats. So the shot came from the audience and it spooked everybody. It was awesome. Nice. And it sounds better when it's not Russell Crowe. Oh, God. From Beyond the Barricades. Yeah. (laughs) From Beyond the Barricades over to Chad Robinson now. That I saw in theaters, I think it has to be Chicago. Dustin mentioned the. The city of Chicago. I'm going to mention the the musical of Chicago. Oh, yes. When I saw it, I saw it with my wife, and our theater was really, really into it. It was new to a lot of people, and particularly, he had it coming. That was a huge hit, and people were just humming along with a song that they hadn't heard really before. Wow. And that was just an awesome experience. It's a good one, for sure. I think that's actually one of the better movie adaptations from the play as well. Oh, without a doubt, yeah. Les Mis is my favorite as well. Like Dustin said, I had the fortunate ability to see this on Broadway and New York. And uh, hey, the bar is set high. I may never quite enjoy anything that much again. But locally, I saw a traveling Broadway performance of uh, A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder. That's a fun one that's more current if you're looking for something to check out. Just going to the theater is... I highly endorse the theater, but I also endorse staying at home on your couch and watching movies, retro movies at that. So, Chad, what movie is it we're going to cover today? A funny thing happened on the way to the forum from 1966. 
Yeah, we're going back here. So again, exactly. 66. We wasn't so long ago. We were from this year. It was a good year. The Russians are coming. The Russians are coming was from 66. So this budget is only $2 million. It makes $3.4 million domestically. It is not a high grossing movie. I don't have real good box office data this far back unless you're at the tippy top. So the number one movie that year is The Bible, which, you know, can't compete right. with that. You know, that's understandable. Popular. Yeah, very popular. IMDb gives a funny thing happened on the way to a forum, 6.8. And the critics of Rotten Tomatoes like it considerably more at 86%. The audience score more towards the middle at 77%. So that's it's an interesting wide distribution of reactions depending on the audience. It is an Academy Award winner for best scoring of music and an adaptation or treatment. And it was a candidate for one of the funniest movies for the AFI's top 100 years of laughs, but it did not make the cut, but it did make the cut to be on our episode tonight. So Dustin, had you seen a funny thing happen on the way to the forum? I had only read the title of it ever before. So I had no expectations for it at all. Never seen it. Uh, Watched it twice because it did exceed my expectations. I think this, this falls into a category with, with musicals or things of a bright and sing-songy nature where you kind of have to be in the mood for it mm-hmm. or you have to know that you like this kind of movie, which is why the, the difference between the critics and the audience, I would say there's some audience members that might just say, like, oh, I wasn't expecting this very particular type of comedy. But uh, no, I'd never seen it before, but I was very glad it came across our desk. Being that it came out in 66, being that it's based on something that happened probably in year one. <laughs> Let's see. Does it, do you feel like this has weight to be worth watching today? 54 AD, by the way. Oh, 54 AD. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. I, the wine year threw me off. You're right. Sorry. The wine uh, year. Yeah. One. yeah. So 54 AD. Is, is this worth watching today? Uh, for me, absolutely. Not only that, during my watch, I was thinking, this is worth being remade. I could see this doing gangbusters if you got the right kind of hammy actors to do this kind of thing. Uh, But for this particular production, there are some things that are clearly dated, and maybe it's an opportunity for the old heads to explain, oh, this is what it would have been like to do a comparison to stage show. And like, this movie has numbers and why that's like a specific thing that's filmed in a different way. Uh, you'd have to do a little bit of explaining, I think, to a younger audience, but it, it holds its weight as far as its content and style for certain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, Chad, had you done a funny thing happened on the way to the forum before? I hadn't, and this was on your list. So occasionally it depends on the dealer, but we have our dealer's choice. And sometimes we're benevolent and say, here's a list pick from it. Sometimes we're just say, you know what? Here's my movie. We're doing it like Airbud. But <laughs> Russell gave us a big long list. My favorite movie of all time is Gladiator. I love movies that are set in ancient Rome. So, this was the one that I chose. It it was awesome to get that list. I didn't know what to expect. We had just hit 1966's The Russians Are Coming, which is a comedy that I it, I didn't really find very funny, to be perfectly honest. Mm. So I, I saw the year and I became very concerned. 
and I was talking to Russell and Dustin offline. I said I had asked Russell specifically after that last podcast, did a funny thing actually happen? And he ignored me. So my concern just grew and grew with this movie. Yeah, uh-oh. <laughs> but you know what? My concerns were misplaced. This was very akin to like a Mel Brooks film. It felt very Mel Brooks-esque to me, which is a happy place for me. I had a good time. I'm wary of Dustin and the remake. I kind of like the cast here. Jason Alexander has done the Broadway version of Pseudolus. That would be fun. Yeah. I would be concerned, but I'd give it a shot. Sure. It just for background on that, I liked the Russians are coming a lot and Brian and Chad did not. So I felt burned. So <laughs> I, 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 I wasn't even sure how to respond to that. I just was, I, I said, I'm going to go walk around the block and be sad for a minute, kick some rocks. So, um, <laughs> well, this is a relief. Uh, we're not headed for that kind of show. So, <laughs> <laughs> Um, I had heard of a funny thing happened on the way of the forum. My dad told me about a funny thing happened on the way to the forum pleasantly. And he took me to see it in New York with my mom and my sister. And I got to have the fortune of seeing Whoopi Goldberg play the role of Pseudolus. And she Ooh. was terrific. Oh. She actually has a really great voice. It's very, very, very funny. I saw it again in a local production at the opposite end of the spectrum in Charleston, West Virginia at the local you know, Civic Light Opera Guild. And you know what? This is funny to see at a local production. So you don't have to pay top dollar to have a good time with this one. Obviously, the singing takes a step down, but you can have fun at a play with locals too. <laughs> so as, as someone that, that was in that Light Opera Guild, I'm a little hurt. <laughs> You're no whoopee, Chad. You're no whoopee. This is true. Although you may be able to pull that hairstyle off. Just food for thought. No, that's that's offensive to many cultures. Uh, anyway, I actually saw it a third time with my wife in Pittsburgh at the local production of it, which is perhaps a step up from the Charleston production, but still not Broadway level stuff. But she had a great time with it. It's very funny. And so I've seen this on play a number of times. My dad had mentioned it and did mention Zero Mostel being very funny in the role of Pseudolist. And I got a chance to see it now. It had always just been on my list of things I want to check out. And I said, Dustin's on this episode. I think we should go back to the musical, Will, because we've had good luck with this one before. Yeah, I lean favorably that way. Yeah. So this one, this pick was for you in theory um, when, I made, when I made a menu to choose from. And you know what? I, uh, I didn't get as much music in this one. I, I was surprised. So they cut some songs out of this one. So, but I had a fun time with it. It is funny. Musicals in general are underappreciated. I'd like to see more of them now. And I think that I would I would go with Dustin and say, yeah, you could remake this. I'm I would be happy to, if nothing else, more musicals in today's times are a good thing. It's a genre I think that really fell out of favor. I mean, by the eighties, they were really slim pickings. And then Disney kept them on life support through their animated movies, but they're just they, you know, there was this little bit of a re renaissance again in the in the O's again through Chicago and some other movies but you know I I'm thinking it's possible that the way that this could get done is through a passion project of some of those actors who did come up with musical theater training and thinking oh this would be fun to get 12 10 to 12 comedians with singing chops to do a, a stage show I don't think and this is the the odd thing to say I don't think you do this to make money it might make money but you do this as a 
as a love story back to the theater. If that makes oh, yeah. sense. I, 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 I'm, I'm on board with it. So I'm going to side with Dustin on that one a little bit. So, but anyway, there will be spoilers that lie ahead. So if you haven't seen this one, do check it out. We will be back after this. Welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast. I'm Bill. And I'm Jason. And this is the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. So whether you're a brain, a jock, a valley girl, or a Jedi, we've got some 80s classics for you. Do these movies stand the test of time? Are we discovering something new? Is there an 80s movie we're finally watching for the first time? Join us each week as we dive into the cinematic nostalgia that inspired and influenced a generation. From the hits to the cult classics, we'll discuss our earliest memories, favorite scenes, fun facts, and our not-so-favorite movie moments, too. It's the All 80s Movies Podcast, now available on all major streaming platforms. Please subscribe and happy listening. All right, we're back. And for those who haven't seen... A funny thing happened on the way to the forum since year 54, or since 1966. Chad, do you want to refresh people's memories? Pseudolus, a slave during the time of Emperor Nero, is the lioness cheatingest, sloppiest slave in all of Rome. He's constantly scheming how to buy his freedom. When he finds out his young master Hero has fallen in love with a courtesan next door, Pseudolus strikes up a bargain. He'll help Hero get the girl if he's granted his freedom. Unfortunately, the courtesan named Philia who happens to be a virgin, has already been sold to Miles Gloriosus, who is coming back to claim his bride. Pseudolus lies and manages to steal Philia and has to come up with a plan to fool Miles. He and his overseer Hysterium convince Miles that Philia is dead and Hysterium dresses up as the body. Miles declares that he's going to cut out Philia's heart in memorial and the fake Philia rises from the dead, kicking off an epic chase across Rome. Eventually, Miles manages to capture all the crew involved. The most critical point, Hero's next-door neighbor, Aronius, learns that Philia and Miles are siblings and his long-lost children. All the gang, now including Marcus Lycus, the owner of the courtesan establishment, are spared from execution as Miles takes the gorgeous Gemini twins as his consorts. Pseudolus gets his freedom and the beautiful Gymnasia courtesan, as well as 10,000 mean-eyed dowry compliments of Marcus Lycus, and Hero, of course, gets his girl, Philia. That's a great plot summary. Not only did you do hard-to-pronounce names, but uh, you brought it all in real quick, so that's awesome. Throws eight years of Latin kicking in right now. (laughs) (laughs) I've got a huge grin on my face from just listening to you talk about, because there's a lot that happens, but your succinct wrap-up was like, all of this stuff, it has something very funny attached to it. And so I'm just going through my head of the scenes of everything you mentioned. It's, it's great. Yes. And as the movie opens up saying, this is something for everyone, a comedy tonight. So I think we talked about this is something that is fun content. But Chad, you, you mentioned it right away. Is the Roman setting here one of the things that's sucking you in right away? I am a sucker for ancient Rome. This is what I wanted to do with my life as a historian. Uh, unfortunately, where I went did not offer any Greek, and Greek is required for a classics degree. So I had to get four years of Greek and two years of grad school. So that became a reroute for me. But yeah, anything to do with Rome, I'm very, very happy. History of the world, when we visit the Roman Empire, I'm happy. Ben-Hur, all of these things, Gladiator, again, my favorite. Just 
the setting is so bright, colorful. There's corruption everywhere. There's, there's just <laughs> a lampoon. So many ridiculous things. Right. Like, colorful, corrupt. Yes. <laughs> All the way to the emperor. <laughs> Dustin, we mentioned how this is a musical, but it is said that, you know, in the late 60s, you're having a falling off of the musical genre. They removed a lot of music from this one. And it's interesting. I asked my father-in-law, did he remember it from the theaters? And he said, yeah, yeah. I didn't think of it as a musical, though. I really just thought of it as a comedy. Yeah, you reminded me. Yeah, there's music in that. I had a good time. And I remembered it positively based on the performances. But it's interesting. The, the music is diminished here. Dustin, is that enough for you to still say that this is a musical? Or is this some getting caught into somewhere in some nebulous in between? It's entertainment. Like Milis asks for during his sit down orgy for 14, bring me <laughs> entertainment. Yes. And that's what we have here is we have entertainment. We have japery. We have hijinks. We have cunning, lying. We have sex appeal. We've got music. We've got bright colors, the wonderful setting, the corruption. Uh, we've got some ominous type characters who are there to be antagonists in a way. And then you've got a lot of people who you want to see succeed. So while the music, I think I didn't count, but when we were chatting offline, I was saying there's only five or six numbers in this production, which means, you know, they had to cut a lot of stuff out. Now, some of that is replaced with some astounding cinematography, especially with the live animals. But the things that we get for the movie production is a lot of fun. Some of it seems impossible to do on stage. And so when you think about songs being cut, you know, when this was written and who wrote it, we're looking at entertainment was brighter. It was featuring the lovely voices of our stage actors. And that was enough. But as you mentioned, and I didn't really know this, but if, if musicals were falling out of style or out of fashion, how do you turn something that is entertaining and bright and funny into something that's still commercially appealing? And you get something like this, which is kind of a mishmash. I'm uncertain if I would call this a musical either. I think uh, I didn't go into these viewings thinking of the Muppets. The Muppets can be funny without music, but music is integral to what they do. Mm -hmm. They must have it. I I'm thinking of uh, what we covered with DJ, gosh, maybe two years ago now, was a Little Shop of Horrors would be funny without the music. You could do a lot of stuff that's entertaining and worthy of being a show. And on video, I'm putting my hands out, jazz hands, of being a show to entertain the audience. And I think this movie really accomplishes that, even if they doubled the amount of songs. I don't know if that's needed. I think this, as this viewpoint of the production, was enough. And there's plenty of hints as to where some of the things you see on screen come from. Mm -hmm. I think about the, uh, everybody ought to have a maid. It's very clearly a Sondheim-esque, I want to do a song about something silly, and we're going to spend time on it. And that's like, all right, well, the, all the quick cuts during that, it, this is very clearly something for the four men to do on stage. 
and you can see its appeal if you were sitting you know right behind the orchestra and you can see how well to stay true to form we need to include that kind of scene in this movie so you see where it comes from but i think the general quick wit and the fast pace of this movie it's calibrated well it's not as fast as monkey business we'll say it's not too fast there's a lot going on though and i think i think it works now chad what about you what are some musical moments let's go ahead and talk music earlier in the show than we usually do because the nature of it what are the moments of music that are working for you i don't think there was a single moment that didn't work for me i love this classic singing in the rain you know you're you're calling dustin your your musical guy come on i i've been on singing in the ring i i gave that five stars i am just enchanted by this type of stuff the moses supposes scene is just silly it's ridiculous but they're having so much fun everybody ought to have a maid is probably the absolute standout for me i think just seeing those four main characters hamming it up it's a ridiculous song and it <laughs> yes it is with ridiculous context of thinking okay this maid is going to sleep with you and there's all this confusion and mix up leading up to the funny song of everybody ought to have a very attractive woman that's attracted to you and and this is your definition of maid yeah it's just it's silly but bring me my bride uh mile's song i love it man <laughs> this, this dude is gaston yes yes he is he, he's like out of my way i take, I take very, very large, large steps, steps. <laughs> <laughs> like i can just see him i'm promptly as large as a barge <laughs> he's gaston so. hey man when i was a lad i ate 12 dozen eggs or whatever yeah. it is yes. there's a reason i started the show with his line i i think that i think i'm so glad you liked that number like i did Oh, yeah. We haven't gotten to this one yet. I love the Young Love Lovely song where this woman is vapid. She doesn't have very many redeeming qualities, but Hero is so young and so infatuated by looking across the window of his neighboring house, the House of Flesh, um, yes. as they call it. And he's fallen so deeply, in, I would say, infatuated with this, with this woman. And when he meets her, I would think most people would sit there and be like, womp, womp, womp. But nope, she's lovely. <laughs> oh, I, I like that self-awareness. I mean, she's basically saying, hey, they didn't train me to literally do anything else. The only thing I have, the only skill and tool in my tool belt is I'm pretty. Yeah. <laughs> is 500 more than 300? <laughs> it's almost double. An honest version. What a terrible combination. <laughs> uh, you, you know what's great is I believe we, it's a very quick cut. Uh, is We have Hero tying a little diary with a note to, to a bird to fly across the windows to get into the hands of this woman that he does not know yet. And the bird immediately cannot fly and lands yes. in the alley. And there's a bunch of other birds with a bunch <laughs> of other journals attached to them. And, and I guess what's what's even funnier to think back in retrospect is even if she got it, she couldn't read it. Right. <laughs> she can't read. That's true. <laughs> there are a ton of those little throwaways, though. Even the, the opening, the comedy tonight, where they're painting little donkeys to look like zebras and horses there are guys Mm -hmm. in the background doing that even uh, they give stuff for nerds like me there's a noted carthaginian elephant breeder which is an allusion to hannibal and crossing the alps or they say something like 
all Gaul was divided into eight parts, which is wrong, by the way. That's a spoof of Caesar's history. The opening line is all Gaul is divided into three parts. I had to translate that. So <laughs> it's pounded into my brain, but they, they give little nerd tidbits too. That's wow, cool. you caught you caught some stuff that I didn't catch having taken this in a bunch of times. That's that's pretty I, neat. I almost never watch a movie twice. Mm-hmm. I watched this probably two and a half times. Oh, awesome. Chad, when I think of Gaul from movies, what do you think of first? I don't know. I know what I think of first, and it's from your favorite movie, The Great Old Gladiator, The Undefeated Gladiator, Tyclus of Gaul. Okay. okay. That's the first thing I always think of. It's like, are you going with a French joke here? Vercingetorix was, he was, he uh, surrendered early. No, no, no joke there. But I will say, of the other songs, Russell, I actually think I like the late version, the reprise of Lovely, better. Really? Only because it was such a shock <laughs> that they chose to do it. Um, and then there is something kind of special, kind of fantastic, and I think maybe the first time I've ever seen it and remembered it is when in the opening credits they're giving you like little short snippets of what is coming in the movie. I mean, how uncommon is that? That's a theater thing, to your point, tying it back to the theater. This is very not theater-like. This is one of those ones where they more embrace their movie transition more and then they do things in this that you cannot do in the theater. I, I think there's two different extremes, if you will. This is, the, this is one extreme that is a safe way of doing it. We're going to take advantage of the format that we're in. This, yeah. is, not, you know, this is not a play. They use a lot of big physical things. They have a chariot chase. These things happen on stage, but it's, yeah, have you ever seen a lot of stuff going on on stage, but really it's people crisscrossing scenes and doors yeah. switching and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's fun. We have fun, but it is within a confined set of constraints and you're using music usually to get the mood across here. It builds up to this really big crescendo. I have to say, I don't know why, but everything in fast forward's funnier. And like it, it takes advantage of that. There's just so much <laughs> going on. And and so the play has that. But I'd say one of my greatest joys in seeing this translated from a play, knowing a lot of what's coming our way, was that. I didn't see that coming quite like no. that. It so. is Pink Panther-esque as far as chase scenes. And that was another one we did together, Russell. The Pink Panther chase is just epic. It's fantastic. Check out that episode. Check out the original Pink Panther. It's a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. I think it's like a movie cheat code where if you need, if you really need a dynamic like ending and you have the budget and the capability to pull off a chase, it should work. And this one works in a completely unexpected space in this wonderful countryside. And we have a lot of stuff in what would be considered like a an urban center of of Rome. Mm-hmm. And it it kind of blew my mind the level of detail that they would be up on the second floor or like the little pools inside of the main like atrium. Like, like there's a bunch of stuff that I was like, wow, this seems accurate somehow. The temple with the Vestal Virgin, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm pretty sure there's there's a mass sacrifice scheduled today. I'll just head over there. <laughs> there is there is one just before we leave there is one musical number that i don't think i loved as much which was the funeral sequence and i imagine that would have stood out more on stage potentially Uh, we're also at a at a time of the movie where miles is on the point because you you keep thinking that pseudolus succeeded in tricking him 
but he, he kind of keeps coming back and we're at the point where it's like breaking like no i'm not tricked anymore get them and so because there's that tension in the air maybe that's why i was kind of thinking past the w- whatever beauty or aspect of the funeral sequence was it didn't it didn't hit with me either time that would probably be my low light but at least there was some cool like dancing and choreography with that i would agree with that of what they left in and in fairness if you had to cut songs i'd say there were some sad ones if i recommend anybody see an actual performance of this you can listen to the soundtrack on youtube having if you've never seen it before it's hard to intake in show tunes without the magic of the show so i still recommend seeing a performance if you get a chance to but these songs are out there there's a song where heroes love i hear where he's just being infatuated and pining with her this is probably one of the easier ones to cut but there's one where Pseudolus is talking to hero and he wants to become free this is actually a really good song his desire to be free is pretty much a big theme for what's motivating him through here i cannot understand for me why they cut this one this is one that i think really needed to be in there plus Sierra Mostel is just so good as Pseudolus. Why you take a Pseudolus number out is even more, perhaps, condemning of, of that decision. Now, I will say before I go down this list of, it, it's seven songs they cut. They cut. They had seven and they cut seven. Dustin, is the length going to hurt it if you add some of these songs back in? Because I know you like a short, tight window. I do like a tight movie. This it there's a lot of complications to the plot that I believe are necessary for the absurdity and the joke volume. Mm-hmm. That's where I think we would be hurt is if you're going to lean towards the pace of the yucks of the Marx brothers, then you'll have to remove some of the music. And so I believe that was what was done. If there were fewer primaries then we could have more songs i think we were right around an hour and a half mm-hmm. it's like 90 minutes ish it's like maybe even a tad under and i suppose that would have been long for the time or at least on the edge of what feature length film used to be this could be an hour 45 and it would not be too long provided that the music is still dynamic because i am unfamiliar with what was cut i can't know how good it was except for that it does seem like with the final sort of culmination song that Zero Mostel, that Pseudolus goes back to free. But if the song was cut earlier, then it's not going back to anything. It's, it's just kind of standalone. Uh, but I didn't feel like it took away from anything because I just don't know them yet. Yeah. And I, I'm actually a pro cutting songs. Officer G, Officer Krupke should be cut from every production. So I'm pro cutting songs. I, without knowing the rest of what was cut, it's hard for me to say. I did listen to the songs that were cut. Russell, you had that list for us ahead of time. Russell does so much work. So if you like our show, a lot of it is due to Russell's hard work. He gives a lot of background. Here, so here. Credit, credit to Russell there. But I went through and I listened. I am going to disagree. I'm fine with every single song they cut. Free, I have a feeling they cut because it actually has an anachronism. Not an anachronism, but an inaccuracy. So Pseudolus says that he could be a senator, and freedmen could never be Roman senators. They could wind up being citizens, but they cannot be senators. They left in one inaccuracy in this movie, but they were trying, which is impressive for as goofy as this movie is. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, They left in one, and it was the joke we've already talked about. Was one a good year? That's too good of a joke. The Romans at this point weren't using a Gregorian calendar. So they're based on when Rome was founded. So they would never say 
hey, year one, was that a good year? So Pretty Little Picture is between Suitless Hero and That's a fun one. I'm Calm is actually one of the ones that I want to cut down. Sterium obviously struggles to calm down with all the, all the madness that is going on in the house, and he's trying to stay calm. Impossible is with Cynics and Hero. This is, a, this is the old man and his son. This is another one of the better ones that I would have kept in. And then um, Dirty Old Man Domina gets a song. She doesn't really get her moment in this. She's such a funny character, but she is de-emphasized through this production. In the theater, there's a lot more of, ugh. Like, you know, people, every time that she walks by of like, ooh, she's scary. You know, she's rich, she's powerful, but she's unattractive. And that joke only builds and piles up in the theater. You get it here. And the character is articulated so well. They paint her face like so white. Yeah. I mean, you yeah. know. And you, and, and you get to see where she gets it from, too, with her mom. I know. That is <laughs> so funny. Which is wild. I entertained 200 officers by myself. <laughs> by yourself? Well, Hysterium was a great help. <laughs> and what a great shot of his face afterwards. Yeah, that, is, that is a good face reaction. <laughs> and then um, and then lastly, that'll show him by Phyla at the end. You got to stop calling her Phyla. It's Philia. Phyla is uh, slang for penis. Oh, no. Yeah, oh. It's, Isn't that kind of a doe? No, that's Philo. It's uh, it's javelin, which is also used interchangeably for erect penis. Okay, wow. Well, I apologize to all the Greeks. You have my permission listeners. to keep calling her that. It's not yeah. Greek; it's Latin. <laughs> Daggone it, man! I, pref- I, well, I apologize to all the Latin <laughs> listeners. It's all Greek to us. Yeah. Yes, apparently. Uh, but anyway, I had remember Dustin at one point. I think I don't remember even the episode at this point. I really criticized. A lot of movies for getting people in them, Mamma Mia in particular, I'm looking at you, for getting people who we Here we like. go again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my, my. Um, what did ABBA do to you? No, I actually don't mind the musical. I've seen in that one as well. But getting actors who we as the population likes but cannot perform. Uh-huh. It doesn't look good. I like Pierce Brosnan. I don't like seeing Pierce Brosnan sing. Because right. he can't do it. I'm sad for Pierce Brosnan, <laughs> and it's just a sad moment. I want people who can perform. I don't necessarily care if I know their name. It's nice if you do. I mean, Catherine Zeta-Jones and Renee Zellweger and Richard Gere, th- those guys delivered. But not every movie's delivered in that way. And this movie did what I was really saying that you should do. They went and got people who had stage experience. Each actor that opened up the role of Pseudalus on Broadway or, or big name actors. And Nathan Lane's done this before. And as you mentioned, Jason Alexander's done this one before. Both Lee excellent Goldberg. castings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and then uh, Zira Mostel, this guy is, he has played Pseudalus on stage before he comes to do this. Jack Gifford has played Hysterium. It, he looks very comfortable in the role. Like he's done this before and he knows how to, he's, he's done this in front of people. He knows how to get the maximum last when they dress him up in, as a dead body. So it's fun to see him do it. Like, so he's doing three things at once. He's, he's a stereum, but he's standing in as a dead corpse. That's funny. But he's a dead corpse dressed up as a woman. So he's two things that he's not. That's With funny. very hairy arms. I know. There's a lot of dress up play in this movie. Yeah. Yes. Which I enjoyed. And that's. And that's just really funny, and he's bad at it. They don't even put makeup on him. In fact, like, <laughs> this is like, he's he's super not convincing. 
and and this general is convinced by it and that just makes it even i somehow think it goes beyond jumping the shark to just being even funnier and because he's done this on stage he knows how to get all those laughs bill silvers was offered the role of suitless on broadway but he turned it down he couldn't wear his glasses and stuff and he feared on stage accidents and so phil silvers goes on to play marcus lycus so he has done this play before so again there's knowing what works for these roles and so mm-hmm. in even some of the even some of the courtesans Hookers. have done yes well yes that's a nicer <laughs> name by the way yes. courtesans uh, even some of the courtesans had been their their roles in the plays so two of the additional ones panacea and vibrata yeah vibrata vibrata yes yeah. so those it's what you think it is yeah well <laughs> yeah anyway um it's a great it's, way to play an instrument as well that's vibrato and is italian yeah those things aren't related man uh, fact check chad over here <laughs> he's in his element and i'm here for it i i, <laughs> I would love to do more history-based movies with chad yes this is what everyone wants is uh news table no yes. i like it i'm i like it. I love learning stuff. it's fun to see the stage performers brought in Everybody's brought here. And we also have Buster Keaton, who is a landmark actor late in his career. Last role. Not, not the erroneous. Yeah, yeah. This is the last role. A fun character. He's still funny. He's not yeah. particularly healthy, but he's still very funny. Yeah. He ran into a tree and did the pratfall, <laughs> which is fantastic. The director didn't know he was going to do that because he had a stand. He was sick. He had a stand in do most of his stunts, which is the first time that's ever happened. You're right, Russell. They went and got the right people, the people that knew how to ham it up and really milk these roles for what they were. I think that's incredible. You do notice that uh, there's singing voices dubbed over how they would be actually singing on screen. And that is always forgivable, always forgivable, even when it's not perfectly done. And it's not perfectly done in this movie, but that's okay. It's forgivable. It, it makes for a better experience. And I know this is part of my industry, but it's like when brides get their pictures done on a sunny day, if it's raining on their wedding day, it's all about what the audience is taking in. Even if it's the same people doing their parts and then they just record over it or dub over it or uh, whatever the term is, I, I think I think it really works. I got to mention one thing, and and maybe one of you knew this, but young hero here, who I think should really be applauded for all of doing his own stunts too, because yeah. he's fallen all over the place. And because I didn't know what I was getting into with this movie, I'm thinking, oh, we're eventually going to start following hero. And then he's got that Monty Python son of the. The person that runs Castle Swamp, (laughs) Prince of Castle Swamp, he's got that kind of voice. And I was like, oh, no, am I going to have to listen to this the whole time? And what's so wild about it is that his singing voice is lovely because this is one of the most acclaimed singing actors of all time. This is the original Phantom. Did you know this, Russ? I did not know this when I went in, but in researching it, yes. Yeah, Michael Crawford is the phantom of the opera along with sarah brightman like like mm-hmm. mount rushmore hey it's worldwide it should be more than mount rushmore like this guy is incredible and this is very very young and so he doesn't get to show off his chops in this movie that much i would have loved to see that but 
with especially, I didn't know what you had mentioned about some of the courtesans who were actually from the stage show. The way that they film that scene where they're all kind of showing off their stuff, uh, th- I think that's that's great. It did remind me of a stage show, and it it really does matter what your original point was, which is they got the right people. I feel a song coming on. No, nope, no, nope, no, you don't. No, it doesn't. <laughs> I'd rather. I'd rather. Nope, no, no, you wouldn't. <laughs> Back to your point of anachronisms, and I just meant. Phil Silvers, like if you're familiar with this actor, the guy who played Marcus Lycus, he normally has big goofy glasses on. IMDb him, like or just Google him. He's a he, they're good glasses. He had to do all of this with bad eyesight, and it was hard for him to do all this stuff. So that really didn't show. So, but hardcore, no anachronisms. You can't wear glasses in Rome. I felt like in the comedic setting, anachronisms can be used to be funny. Mel Brooks uses them in History of the World Part One, mm-hmm. but that's just not the decisions that they made here. They, they went with another thing. And I'm actually got to say, you know, they didn't choose to use those yucks. And they had plenty of laughs here without doing the whole like, oh, we're doing a historical piece in today's time. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. You know, look at this funny thing. And I have to say, in some ways, you're future proofing it because things that might be funny in 1966 may not be as understandable. Or maybe you're using a reference to a figure or a news event of the time that people might respond to really well in the 60s. But here in, tw- in the 2020s, you know, because they've just, they played it straight and kept those anachronisms out, the same laughs now are the same laughs that you had then. It's, they're very universal, I think, in terms <laughs> of, you know, coming of age awkwardness and, and all of these things. Yeah, it, yeah. It, the the themes are, can be good. The, the lack of anachronisms it, like as a choice, I thought was very cool. <laughs> And some of the things are evergreen in a way, such as Miles saying silence and Pseudolus screaming silence at the top of his lungs. Yes. <laughs> it's going to be funny throughout time. Like, that's so funny. But you, I think a younger audience might need to be taught that when Pseudolus is pointing in and looking at the camera and kind of filling you in on something, that like, oh, this is an aside. This is a stage thing. It, it was very indicative of the time because they might not know. And you're thinking, oh, breaking the fourth wall, how tired. But for the time, it made sense that this is funny. And when you see that on stage, it's, it's helpful. I love the commitment to it. Anytime that there's a choice and a sticking to that choice, I, I really dig it. And, and this was done purposefully and very funny. Is breaking the fourth wall tired? I, I usually just like that as a thing. I feel like Deadpool caused other movies to jump in on that and it it's become a little tropey i suppose that's what i would say yeah I, okay. maybe maybe tired is too far in the red on the gauge maybe i was too harsh by saying it but a little tropey is maybe more correct well for 1966 it's not no no it's, right it's right. certainly the deadpool copy everything i mean deadpool comes out and it breaks passion of the christ r-rated which is right. the funny, that is a very funny grouping of movies, Deadpool and Passion of the Christ, but it breaks the R-rated record. So people say, this, this works. People like meta humor. Do this. Yeah, yeah, interesting. I think it becomes a tool oft reached for when more creativity or more effort towards something else to become very funny is not taken, is, well, let's just, let's just go with a, fourth wall break it can seem cheap mm-hmm. i agree mm-hmm. 
Like, who is this, Zach Morris? Timeout, yeah. Right. So during the filming, Marcus is like, this is uh, Phil Silvers again. <sighs> so many interesting stories on this guy. He locked himself in his trailer, refused to come out. Director Richard Lester asked John Pertwee to step in to the role of Marcus Lycus, which he had played on stage himself. And Silvers heard that he had been replaced and came out of his trailer bursting out with, with a much more positive new enthusiasm for an attitude. And I love this story as a director of just like, well, fine, we'll put some other jerk in here instead who knows the part. And like he felt threatened and came out. I find that that's a very funny thing. Uh, it, it, Hollywood divas normally get to have their pick of the litter, but I just thought this was a humorous story of how uh, one director chose to deal with that. Somebody's having a, a diva moment. You just go like, fine, put somebody else in there. I mean, you've got to know how replaceable you are. This isn't a Wesley Snipes refuses to open his eyes during a scene, so we CGI it in Blade <laughs> 3 type thing. Yeah, and, and actually just uh, just last week I watched Black Swan where you've got a very serious situation with an understudy. So like I've yes. got a lot of wires being crossed right now. Yeah, that yeah, is, that is good. Like, hey, get out there, do your job. So this is the final film, not only for Buster Keaton, but for Patricia Jessel as Domina. And just as much as you wanted to say Leon Green did an amazing job, I really do want to say Domina's awesome. I do wish she had gotten more screen time. She's a fun, I don't want to say antagonist, but just a foil. Yeah. I I agree with you. I I agree that she needed more screen time uh, and maybe just a tad more development. I'd love to see more from her, but I actually have more to say on that a little later. Interestingly enough, before it was ever released, Melvin Frank announced that he wanted to do a sequel to this called A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Guillotine. Obviously, we're jumping forward in history. It never went into development. But if it was written by Melvin Frank and Michael Pertwee again, like if it was done by the same people, Chad, do you want a funny thing happen on the way to the guillotine? I do. I do. That is a super dark subject to the French Revolution. But somehow I have faith in these people. I think they can make it funny. Would you get a different cast of people? Because I actually think it's funny if you could actually get the same crew back. You could get oh, Phil's, crew. Yes. Yeah, yeah. If you could get Zero back, uh, if you could get Phil Silvers, obviously Buster Keaton's unfortunately going to die shortly after wrapping this movie up. But if you get Michael Crawford, Jack Gifford up, and, and the same people, I want this movie badly. Dustin? Heads will roll. I'm always extremely wary of sequels. Extremely so. But if it can be done, there are some movies that where you take the exact same cast and you put them in other things. I think right now, maybe the most culturally relevant would be Broken Lizard. Do you agree? Mm, yes. Super Troopers. They're not all hits, though. No, I like Slamming Salmon. Yeah, that was one that I was like, I don't even know if I want to see it. I don't think Club Dread was that great. Uh, oh, yeah. I've, I've seen it twice, but like, it's, it's still something where it's like, do they hit the same? And that's where, if they don't, I'm timid in that sense. But even if it was just one or two additional changes with like other types of stars, perhaps that could be very fun. It would be something I would I would have watched. But yeah, I'm I'm only because I'm wary. But the setting is ripe for the picking for an absurdist comedy. I think we got it's a fun mental experiment. Yeah, it's hard to rhyme Richelieu though. (laughs) Director Richard Lester, it's interesting. Normally, the actor comes later, but in this case, they wanted Zero Mostel. And for those of you who aren't that familiar with Zero Mostel, if you've seen The Producers, which is a more popular movie that's endured more than this even, 
this is this is Zira Mostel, who's from the producers. Obviously, good musical performance on stage, and he's so good at playing that character in the producers too. But here, they got him. This is their pseudolist before they had a movie, before they even had a director. They wanted Zero to come in and do this. He is in a rare position as an actor to name five names for directors. And he named five names. Orson Welles, Charlie Chaplin, Jean Renard, Richard Lester, and Seth Holt. And Richard Lester got the job. So some pretty actually cloudy names. I don't know if I, I, I sometimes wonder... Maybe some of these names are so lofty that they're not going to get two of those. So maybe he was intentionally narrowing it down. But what a cool notion as an actor to be wanted so much for a movie that you get to pick your director. I don't think I've heard of this. Certainly not too often. Yeah, I don't think anyone has the star power to just go, bring me James Cameron. (laughs) Yes. Oh, man. If it's not Boz Lerman, I walk. I'm thinking of Orson Welles was, must have been a fan. Uh, I've seen a production or a, a, a clip of Everybody Ought to Have a Maid with Jack Guilford, Orson Welles, and Dean Martin singing that song with oh. a whole bunch of maids like dancing around. It was like part of a variety hour or something. Uh, so I wonder if Orson Welles would have been excited to be picked. But I mean, it's just, it's out in the ether. Orson Welles was one of those names where I sat there and go like, are you just trying to put, like Chad said, like James Cameron? Like you're just trying to put a big name on there that won't happen in order to narrow, thus narrow it down. Like one of our most notorious shortlists that somebody, we, we usually ask our guests, what movies do you want to cover? Give us, you know, at least three movies or something. And one of them came in and it was Jurassic Park 1, Jurassic Park 2, and Jurassic Park 3. And I was like, well, that's, that's framing to get one to pick done if there ever was one we all know which one you want never do that to me i will spite pick jurassic park three every time yeah i'll take three over two personally two's bad two is bad t-rex in chicago uh, <laughs> anyway they, back had, to, they had it coming back to things i do like <laughs> it was interesting the script was constantly being rewritten dennis Norton, the cameraman nicholas rogue and richard lester they're all making uncredited contributions. They're changing this thing. So there's an original Broadway show, and they were annoyed with the numerous changes to the movies going on. And Zero expressed dissatisfaction with the finished movie in that, you know, he's used to doing it his way, and so much is changing. I feel like when you make a theater production into a movie, often it can come off as a hollow eh, knockoff. Have you ever read a novelization of a movie? It's usually not that inspired. No, so, <laughs> I so, won't. <laughs> well. They can be disappointing. And I think that is what often happens when things leave the theater and come to film. In fact, I know for a fact Brian Fry has gotten on here before and mentioned that he does not go into musicals very easily. He believes that's something for the theater, you know, in the same way he's very pure about certain books that he likes. He he doesn't like the conversion, the adaptation once he's come to see the original. He wants the real McCoy. I think I'm okay with that. He seems frustrated, but it doesn't show in his performance, and I don't think it shows in the final product either. So I'm okay with these changes, having seen it. I might have kept some more music in there, but to your point, Dustin, the pace will invariably change based on what you're watching, and audiences at the time did respond well to it. It was well-received at the time, and it was profitable at the time. Certainly, within the time frame of their time, I gotta say, Richard Lester kind of nailed the mission for the conversion, especially when you take into consideration, even my criticism is saying 
more music well to your point the box offices and the people were saying i want less music in my movies at this point musicals were starting to trend out already it requires a an audience that wants it and i think on our one of our western shows we talked about like the difference in audiences and the difference in expectations and i think in 66 if you're going to see a show it might even be just like oh we're going to go see a double feature we're going to go see two movies in a row we're going to pair this with something more dramatic and i i think we're looking at this 1966 version i think we see with this adaptation some artifacts of what it used to be and there are times i'm going to take very similar time, I think just five years earlier, was West Side Story. And you see the adaptations for film, and some things clearly, clearly work. Other things have to be really, really grand in scale. And I think we have both intimate, like small scenes, and then we have larger grand scenes in this, that they are welcome. They're both welcome. Since we discussed like the choices of making sure anachronisms aren't in this, there are times when it's like, wow, we are really seeing like the set. I guess this is in Spain, mm-hmm. in, in yeah. Madrid. Like we're, we're seeing some things that are just, just wild to see. Uh, and then we're seeing some things that are very specifically like, oh, this is like a set piece. Like mm-hmm. it, it, this, this is meant to look exactly this way. And I think it's noticeable the same way that uh, it's noticeable whenever the uh, jets and sharks at the school dance, like, oh, this is a big wide shot to show off the big groups. Like it's noticeable, but if you're in the right mindset and maybe at the time, you know, theater goers or audience members of the movie would have been able to switch to that mindset. Uh, I don't think it takes anything away. I don't think it's like done uber artistically. I think it's fair to allow for the director to switch modes a bit. Is, is all I really had to say, is that it was noticeable, but wasn't distracting. Chad, I want to kick this one to you. When we talk about things that he did do well in terms of adapting, whether Zero liked it or not, but are there any things that feel like, well, this is very much of the 60s, and maybe these things might date it a little bit? So I'm going to get to this a little bit more with my change one thing, but when we're at the courtesan bringing out the girls, I think there's definitely some issues and this would probably be the number one thing changed you could keep the courtesan house but how the girls are presented what they're wearing and no so you're saying they have too many clothes on no no i'm not it seemed incredibly risky didn't it yeah yeah for the time i was really surprised and i'm not saying i didn't like what i saw i'm saying like this is this was wild. And you actually got a taste for it in the opening credits. Yeah. Of like, oh my gosh, is this, is this going to be lewd? And it's not quite there, but it's close. Uh, so like sometimes that's where moviegoers are going to be a little standoffish. Uh, I guess, hey, there's something for everyone. I thought Chad was going to go and turn this into Porky's just now because he was like, this is Rome. But this is not lewd enough. I thought you were steering into that. It, it was more like the presentations with Fabrata, who's from Africa, and so we right. dressed her in the loincloths and things. I think that stuff is going to be changed if we did it in 2023. You have the girl from Asia who's got all the little bells on her, and she's doing a very stereotypical dance. I think you could do something different, and I'll get into that a little bit more on change okay. one thing. Okay. 
I see where you're going with this now more so. I see now. Okay. This is what struck me. I mean, there's a lot of misogyny in this film, but I think some of it is just that's the point of the character. Like, Pseudolus is this kind of sleazeball. I don't know that you really take that away or change it. He really does like have the idea of having a silent wife. Yes. Hmm. Yes. You, you know, while we're on this subject of like what the director did or didn't do, some of our like early 2000s musical adaptations, when it comes to a choreographed scene or when it comes to like, all right, th- we're about to go three full minutes into this musical number, everything is so incredibly precise. And in this movie, they're not. It's sloppier. Yes. On purpose, I have mm-hmm. to presume, because I think you could get with a day's training, you could get everything in line and everything could be uniform. I believe we've got an, a top down shot of the three men during the Ought to Have a Maid song. And Pseudolus is kind of rocking back and forth. Like maybe that's what he typically does, but the other three aren't. You've got their steps in their sandals just kind of off. It must be done on purpose, but I think. If you're going to transition to, it's like switching between the opera and the ballet. We can handle a switch and we want, I think we want precision. So the, the sloppiness there, I like the sloppiness in the characters and the humor. I don't know if I like that with the choreography. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that Zero Mostel, kind of like Bud Abbott and Lua Costello when we covered them just a little bit earlier this year, he doesn't turn it off. Meaning he's not pseudolist, he's not method acting the whole time, but he is a total goofball. He's taking other pieces of wardrobe from the women. He's going around and dancing and making goofy songs and up. And he's not doing pies in the face necessarily like Bud Abbott and, and Luke Costello were. Um, but he's a real colorful character. I mean, he fondled the statues or the cherubs. Yeah. He batted his eyes at, at different cast members and stuff like that. He doesn't turn it off. And so, some degree, I don't know. If the slappiness that you're referring to is, to some degree, this is the nature of this character that you have. But it does sound fun to be on stage with them, in precision or not, in the end, because it just sounds like he kept everybody's energy up. And in Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein, they were goofy, but they had a goofball who just would go around stage keeping the energy up, you know, just kind of like an energy man. He wasn't even in the movie. A and comedy they, they, fluffer. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Exactly. In this case, Zero wanted that and was, was that for the whole cast. What a big personality. He seems like he would have been a fun guy to make a movie with. Oh, yeah. I can see nothing but positive things coming from that. I would say something else that has aged a little bit would be in the cinematography. They love their 1960s fast cuts. Like they take these little clips, like when Hysterium's talking and changing names with all these things, you know, clip, 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 clip. And they actually take pictures of people's faces. They're not in the scene at that moment. And it, it can take you out of the moment. Hysterium is funny. The fact that Hysterium is talking that quickly and that he's panicking is funny. And so when you start to use the camera to take him out of the mode at, to some degree, it can actually take you out of the comedy to some degree. And so there were some moments where the camera was very close, very active, very moving, lots of fast cuts. And there were some moments that were funny, like when they stop cut. They're behind one door. They cut the camera and they stop. They're behind the next door in the hallway. They stop the cut. And it's behind another door. So I won't say that, that everything that Nicholas Rogue's doing is not working. Sometimes it works. 
and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it serves the comedy, and sometimes it doesn't. But no matter how you look at it, if this movie's made again today, they're not shooting it this way. It feels very much mid-60s. I, I like it, though. Mm-hmm. Whether like it's it? positive or negative, I like because it's a choice. And the, 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 I, I laughed. I, I was listening to you describing something that was happening, and I laughed thinking about it when Pseudolus tells... I keep wanting to call him Hyperion. Who's the who's the nervous guy? Hysterium. Uh, Hysterium. When uh, Pseudolus called, uh, tells Hysterium that he's found his erotic pottery. Yes. And and they do the quick cuts to all the sh- like shapes Pseudolus is yes. like doing all. And there's one where he's like bent over and like looking at him through his legs, and uh, it's it's so funny. Now that and, is funny. That's the moment when the fast cuts work. Yeah, and that's where. I don't think I was distracted by this. However, I can see that it could be. And I think that's important. I guess I understand, but I'm with Dustin. Look at all the puns, all the jokes. They are very staccato. I'm looking over all of my notes and nothing here is a long speech. Most of these jokes are, you know, uh, an honest version. What a terrible combination. You may have my body, but you'll never have my heart. Well, you can't have everything. The lioness, cheatingness, sloppiest slave in all Rome. Ah, Pseudolus. These are the responses. He knew him, yeah. And yeah. even the back and forth. Gusto, the body snatcher. He died yesterday. Can you use his body? Somebody snatched it. Somebody snatched it. Like, it's this staccato method of speaking that I think the camera is trying to match. I get why that would drive you nuts, but for me, it's a feature, not a bug. Oh, well, okay, yeah, then... I'll, I'll back off digging into this then. I guess it's working better for everybody else than me. I would agree. I, th- I think for Chad and I, it, it worked. I, I want to say that's another thing that was Mel Brooks-esque. Or mm-hmm. it was another thing that was like, here's the joke. There it is. And we're moving on. And, Absolutely. And Russell, you had described to me before, like, you know, not every joke has to be a grand slam. And not all of them were. But I definitely, about an hour in, was at that point excited to see what could be new, what could be projected at that fast pace that is still delightful. I wasn't expecting the acrobat like scene. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> and, the window and, trick. <laughs> that's right. And, and the fact that Miles loves it. Oh, this is the, the be- you he, this is the best I've ever seen. It really looks like he fell on his head. And there's other stuff too where like, oh, just the, the changes in wardrobe. You have to understand that like in the theater, like these colors really help you keep up with the names. They do. Uh, the, the purple robe, orange robe, yellow robe. Uh, you, and that's, that's helpful on stage. But in the movie, it was also helpful too where they could have gone more dynamic, but they stuck with, it was a choice. They stuck with the original. And so that was uh, helpful. These little comedy decisions I don't think there was a risk too great with most of these, which is why I didn't have to, in order to get all my info for the show, I didn't need to watch it a second time, but I did. Well, I will say another thing that it reminded me of with these fast cuts, not to belabor the point, was Richard Lester has worked with the Beatles. He did A Hard Day's Night and Help before. And there's a, they're not music videos proper at this time, but if you think about musical presentation and video format for this era, I believe they come from that quilt for the era and that I did think of them. So I think he's bringing that with him. 
just like, yeah, deliver the message quickly or deliver the joke quickly. Use a technique where it may not be needed. I think I understand. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I think it worked for, for oh, me. Yeah. And in fairness, they are presenting music and comedy together. There's, it's natural that he might have been thought of for this. And it's funny. I didn't necessarily think of Richard. Richard Lester, to me, he's the Superman guy. And you got Superman 2 and 3. Like, I think Superman. I guess he did a version of the Three Musketeers as well. But Superman's really what I think of when I think of Richard Lester. But now I'm going to think of him with this too. Different ends of his career. Sometimes the cut is so quick that it really punctuates the joke too. We saw Michael Crawford running around trying to get mare sweat for 15 seconds at a time for an hour. He's not in the movie that much. Then we cut to him in a sauna with a horse sitting on its butt. (laughs) That is punctuated by the technique. It was... (laughs) And a beautiful, stunning horse. (laughs) And it's all... Like they went there and it, it was really pushing the absurdity before we got to the end chase. And I'm so glad it did because it's absurdity doesn't always work, but I think it did here. All that stuff reminds me of Monty Python. Yes. Holy grail style. When, yeah. Uh, Crawford goes to jump on a horse that has a, a canvas sack on its back, goes to jump on it. The horse runs away. This yes. is during the chase scene. It was at that time that I typed out, this is Monty Python before Monty Python. Mm-hmm. High praise for both of you because you both really love this movie and I like it too. Now, Chad, taking more things that you love, Rome. How Roman is this Rome that we're roaming in? It's very accurate. So Russell texts me and he's like, what is with these 60s colors? Is this, this acceptable? And I hadn't watched the movie yet. I told him, hey, Rome was a very bright, colorful society that was kind of, they like peacocking. This was the thing with Rome. The only thing I warned him is if there's a bunch of purples, purple was a rare dye. You, you really couldn't get it from many other places other than like Phoenicia. So if there was a ton of purple, it's a problem. Uh, that was reserved for the elite. And we, we have Lycus in purple, but I think it's fitting for his character. He's literally going and getting kind very of expensive. <laughs> yeah, he's getting very expensive dye and treating himself. He is. He's he's the pimp character. I like all these bright colors. I like that they took this bold, bright set. Because really, when we see Rome in our textbooks, when we're in high school, we're like, eh, everything's plain. Everything's what Rome love colors. All those colors have washed away from statues and buildings from when we know them now. But man, this this was great. I love the sets. I love the costumes. Every bit of it. Wow. And Dustin, do you feel like there's anything that they, I was trying to piece together what they're trying to do with the color. Like if there was anything symbolic, so like red, Pseudolus is in red, but also it's not just the slaves, like Senex, his master is in red, but that's not really the color of the house. His son Hero wears white. And I think white might just mean young and, you know, innocent because you've- Philia's in white, the, yeah, virgins in white, the, the other courtesans are in yellow. Like, I, I sort of see what you're going for, and I thought to myself, too, does that matter? Erroneous was in either a dark purple or a very dark blue. Yep. I was more thinking, because I did lend some thought to it, that it was more for convenience for similarly togood characters on a stage play, that this is how you keep track. Uh, I was actually thinking of it more like an orange. Hysterium. Hysterium's kind of got more of an orangish yellow. Yeah. I'll give you that. 
that like, oh, this is how you keep track of them, maybe from far away, where you don't have close shots on their faces. Uh, and also, what's fun is if it's a simple color that designates what their job is or what their status is, then it makes maybe more sense for when Hysterium or when Lycus is wearing a full white acrobat or a full yellow courtesan's outfit that they are able to get past the guards who are all in uh, a very dark brown or dark gray. Colors, yeah. And, and so that, that, made, that made a lot of sense for me as far as recognition. The hair was sloppy. Nobody had like an updo. Nobody had a, like a specific hairstyle. It was all kind of messy, which I think also kind of looked like what I imagined Roman hair to look like, at least when I've seen it in other media. So I would say it was more out of assistance to the viewer than it was for thematic understanding of their, like, the, the color of their soul. That's, that's where I would stop at that point and say, oh, we're not trying to get too deep. With okay. That okay. was my idea. And I generally do look for that kind of thing. I, I was going to say, if I'm, if I'm using such intense colors, I'm going to... Wes Anderson sure as heck's going to put a lot of thought into it with his My dealer's palettes. choice with Hero two years yeah. ago. Yeah, exactly. So I was looking for meaning deeper than I found, so... Yeah, Dustin hit most of the themes, but I think he nailed it as far as its stage convenience is to be able to tell your hysteriums uh, from your Marcus Lycuses. Yeah. Well, and uh, Janet Webb, uh, Fertilla, the populator, yes. I believe she's wearing white. She is, yes. So, yeah, the, the thing that I think you are describing, I don't think it's present. One thing I did like was the Casa de Campo, which is a huge public market in Madrid being put in there. And you said it was Spain earlier, Dustin, but like Spain is, Rome was huge. It covered up an enormous amount of area. Spain is very, that's legit Rome for, that, that's close to the core of the Roman Empire. It was Rome early and late, if I'm not mistaken, right, Chad? Yes, yes, it was taken over. That counts as going on location. I give him a ton of credit for doing that. <laughs> yeah, and, it counts. And uh, the Lod Pedriza, it's a the beautiful slopes in the mountain range. And that's just northwest of Madrid. So kind of things being done in the Madrid area. I found myself wanting to travel there. And if, to be honest with you, it was so pretty. Uh, I know it's not that kind of movie. It's not Roman holiday where you're just trying to like make a beautiful postcard to the place. But found myself wanting even more of the scenery because it was so good. Oh, yeah. I mean, if nothing else, the chase scene. Dustin covered it earlier. It's just, it's a lot of fun going through that huge amount of countryside, seeing all these different sites. We see a, a mill. We see a lot of structures in the background. We see a forest. It transitions so rapidly into so many different things. It was fantastic. What do you guys say we hand out some superlatives? I'm ready. Vala. Superlatives tonight. Dustin. MVP. It's got to be Zero because of his experience bringing to the role his absolute eating up the limelight when he has it. He's leading us, the audience, by the hand. He's playing a fun, quick-witted, clever fool. He is both the magician and jester. Like He's doing it all for us. And He's got a lot of time on screen, and even though there's a lot of principals who are doing their, have their own motivations, I think his is the one that we follow the most. And at first, I thought he was just going to be a helpful narrator, but he's so intertwined in everything that I couldn't think of anyone else as the MVP. So, zero must tell. It's a great choice. Chad, 
could echo that. Pseudolus is just kind of this lovable scheming slime ball, and you're cheering for him. He's he's just got this energy and cheese. So every time he's on screen, I am smiling. Love him. Yeah, I love how much he lies, and people go with it. Like he's very quick on his feet to come up with a lie, and nobody questions him about it. Even with big scale things of like, oh, that's too bad about Crete. What? Oh, I can't tell you. No, no, do tell me. I don't want to ruin your day. (laughs) I don't want to ruin your day. He really digs in it to the point that they're like, you need to tell me what happened in Crete. Well, the plague. (laughs) And like, you know, they died smiling. (laughs) It's the most beautiful thing. So, I mean, I'm with you guys. Zero Mostel. It's very special what he's actually doing here. And I don't think if put into the hands of very many other people, it's nearly successful. So, it's a special kind of comedy, and I really, I, I will remember it. He's really good at this. He's really good at the producers as well. Uh, I would like to see more of Zero Mostel. He's a very funny man. Best supporting actor. This, this is still tough because I think it's a good supporting cast, Dustin. Well, there are awards out there for best ensemble, and this is one of those movies with such a cavalcade of character that it would deserve this kind of praise as ensemble cast everyone nailed it i do have to pick one and i'm gonna go with michael horndern as senex i think the character as the the guy trying to get away from his wife like as written is funny and i and i think his he's got some not exactly too camera but he's got some asides we'll say that are so so good and he also is gullible, which is fun. So I've said it before. Sometimes what I'm doing is I'm giving the award to the character, not the actor. But I'm going to go with Michael Hornder. Son, if you're as happy as your mother and I have been, my heart bleeds for you. My heart bleeds for you. <laughs> uh, that's a good one. All right. Uh, Chad, how about you? Best supporting actor. I like Phil Silvers as Lycus. I think especially his scenes where he's a sleazeball too. He's trying to convince everyone that Pseudolus is like us. He's a weasel and trying to weasel out of these predicaments he's found himself in or that Pseudolus has put himself in. I enjoyed it. Oh, that's, that's mine too. He is so good as also being slimy. He's just not as good at it. <laughs> yes. He's slimy without it being a necessity because he's rich. So, uh, yeah, that, that's yeah, that's great. Yeah, I love the scene where he's when he's like, if I could just switch places with somebody for one hour, and then simultaneously Zero's like, if I could just get in Marcus Lycus's shoes for one hour, and they're both conning each other into what doing what they want to do, and they think they're both so clever as they're walking along this balcony in Rome, and he's like <laughs> watching them butter each other up and like compliment each other. It is like peanut butter and jelly. It's wonderful. (laughs) Well said. Hidden gem. Dustin. I was going to pick the horses because there's a lot of good horse work in this movie. That Not enough horse sweat, though. That's hard to come by. It was hard enough, but I'm going to skip that. And I'm going to go to the gladiator instructor and the gladiator in training. (laughs) 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 And listeners, if you're hearing that laugh, it's because they get two minutes of screen time. But the gladiator instructor is so helpful and understanding and like he's a really he's what you want in a counselor. And the gladiator who's like working on getting better at knocking heads off 
is like he's also just sort of like accepting of the training and he's keeping his head up and it's like it's these are men like condemned to die but for some reason they're at like the atmosphere around them is like yes i'm gonna help you get better all right hey you're still you're still locking your wrist like it's it was great and uh, in a movie chock full of jokes this joke felt like a reprieve from the rest and it was somehow special more special than the others to me what was it like still too much shoulder or something like that yeah i felt like a tennis instructor telling someone how to hit a tennis ball but for murdering people in a coliseum (laughs) and then there's the absurdity of like how do you practice we're gonna line up four men for you to kill with this flail (laughs) like he's not practicing on a dummy they were just like all right go up there and everything surrounding it was funny too like hi i'd like to (laughs) hero walks up hi where do i sign up to (laughs) to get thrown to the lions (laughs) Uh, (laughs) you have to go to the training facility yeah pompeii (laughs) i think it's very funny how disproportionately pretty gymnasia is and she's all about going with Pseudolus, their chemistry they have and their goofy non-sign language sign language and they totally understand in deep with with minimal hand motions that's always very funny and they love how that scene that you're talking about ends with her she's a very tall athletic lady picking up a trident and saving his butt i thought that was very fitting chad hidden gem that is my hidden gem is inga nielsen as gymnasia she does the athletic thing for her namesake gymnasia but the fact that she can't speak throughout the entire movie and she's still funny is very, very hard to do. She's expressive. She has that great chemistry with Pseudolus, who is miles beneath her as far as league. She is drop-dead gorgeous. And it's just such a funny dynamic. I'm with you. She's really funny. Like, that is a great choice. She's very, very funny in a role that you might have just thought you might have gotten some eye candy they ask her to do a lot without speaking she does a great job of it so just for some variety's sake i'm gonna pick the aqueduct of segova there's a scene where they're they're singing and everybody loves to have a maid uh where they're moving across this big aqueduct Mm -hmm. what a neat structure that is so recast dustin i could recast the whole movie in an 80s version of it 80s version wow rodney dangerfield is pseudolus Mm. Uh, okay yeah are you guys not rodney dangerfield fans no no i, I like him I, i'm intrigued i was kind of thinking john belushi in my head but yeah i think john belushi might be too tongue-in-cheek i don't i don't know i i, I mean i like that too but uh i like rodney dangerfield the pseudolus and then i was thinking mel brooks could be why do i want to keep saying hyperion <laughs> um hysterium hysterium <laughs> thank you <laughs> hysteria uh, he, kind of looks, he kind of looks like him yeah, I'm not saying it needs to be recast. It would be a fun recast. Okay. Chad, if you wanted to recast somebody, who would it be? And who are you putting in their place? I think I'm recasting the role of Philia, and I am putting Jane Fonda in here. Wow. Is she going to be good at the ditzy thing? She came, what was it? Uh, was it Barbarella? No, no, no I, I get it. She's a hot name for the time. Um, forgive me, because it's a great cast, and I don't like doing this, but Michael Horton is Cynics. I'm going to get somebody. Probably too young to do it, but because his age is not quite right for this. But I think Mel Brooks's cynics would be very funny to actually insert him into here. I've seen Mel Brooks be older, so my vision of an older Mel Brooks playing the role of cynics would be very funny. I love it. I think Richard Jenkins could do a cynics as well. Yeah. Yeah, he's got the hair for it. That's for sure. That's maybe the reason I was going for it. Sometimes I just go on looks, all right? 
Yeah. He looks like he would like to have a maid. Everybody ought to have Everybody. I think Richard Jenkins would do a good knock three times reaction. When Pseudalus <laughs> says he lines up this woman who's very aggressive and wants to be with him, and he has nothing to do with this large, strong lady. And he says, I'll be in there a minute. Just knock three times. And then he turns, you know, it's coming, but it doesn't matter that, you know, it's coming. You just don't right. know who it's going to happen to. And he did perfect. It's his master, Cynics. And he says, she's in there waiting for you. Just knock three times. And this big arm reaches out and grabs him. It's, some jokes are kind of callbacks. I love the the one where, uh, where Cynics and Domina end up in the same room. My filly, my, my stallion, my husband, my wife. My gods. <laughs> <laughs> you have been distant these last 29 years. <laughs> My heart bleeds for you. All right. Best shot. Chad. I think there are just so many fun shots during everybody ought to have a maid. Uh, the overhead shots is what gets me with the tile floor and the mosaics and things like that. They're moving, as Dustin said, not quite in sync, but there's. I, I'm a sucker for that type of shot. It's fun. It's a fun number. And Dustin, best shot. The second lovely, the reprise with Pseudolus and Hysterium. Where, <laughs> where Tramps into the, the woods. Uh-huh. And it's because <laughs> it was like, they are really pushing the limit on how absurd they want to go. And then they do it. And we're getting the same kind of thing from Some Like It Hot where like Lemon kind of likes being in the women's clothes Very and cool. i i think hyperium oh my god hysterium <laughs> and i think hysterium is starting to like it too and so when we get that shot it's not about the shot's beauty it's about the stark just boom we're gonna put this comedy in your face and you're gonna like it it's so good yeah shouldn't i have jewelry yes that was such a good line i feel like i should have some jewelry or something just think dead thoughts <laughs> And I hate to go back to it, my head and gym, but the Aqueduct of Segova shot, when it's a long shot, but those bright yeah. colors pay big dividends here as they're marching across the big aqueduct there. I did really find it to be funny also on the front doorstep as, you know, Marcus Ligas just happens to walk up and then joins them in this choreographed dance. <laughs> it seems yeah. too impromptu for this world that they're in. And because there's less music here, it does catch you a little bit off guard. And I have to admit, the way that that song builds up from just Pseudolus and Cynics to then adding Hysterium to the adding Marcus Lycus. The whole thing's just a delight. So best scene, Dustin. I wrote down the final chase is bonkers because it is. <laughs> and normally I don't go with the culminating scene. I go with something middling throughout. But that it's so, so fun. I believe we have Pseudolus like water skiing <laughs> or water jamming. Yes. Yes, off of Broken t Chariot, yeah. Who could have expected this? There's so much, and each 10 seconds brings something new. You've got the guy on the mill, like he's, he's pushing some big circular mill thing around. And Millstone, like, yeah. Yeah, he ends up knocking people off with that big thing, and he's still trying to do his work. Like he, he keeps like trying to work. It was very much, and maybe this one wasn't so Monty Python, but there was a lot to it that I was like, Oh, and they've really found a formula for something just, just really wild. So that's the best scene. All right. Chad, best scene. Yeah, Dustin used bonkers. I wrote down, it's insane. There, <laughs> there are so many fun things from this, but 
the stunts themselves where they lock arms, they grab each other's arms and yank each other into the opposing chariot. There's a transition from the chariot onto horseback. These things are incredibly hard to do, and I don't expect them at all in this type of movie. It's just, it was a fantastic chase scene, not to mention it was very, very funny. Yeah. And the music during that also delivers and escalates the moment really well, too. Absolutely. Yes, you're right. Yeah. I like when things are happening in conjunction with each other and not everybody knows what's going on at the same time. For me, this is ripe for comedy gold. And I like the scene where Cynics is back at his house waiting for Philia to come in to visit him. Domina comes in. Captain Miles Glorious is there. He wants his wife to be delivered. The heavyset woman's waiting on Sudalus in the room. Domina's coming home. Uh, Cynics thinks he's going to have sex with Philia. Uh, Domina comes in instead. The Gymnasia potion... is, is like in the shape of a statue. Yes. Yeah, it doesn't <laughs> hide from that one lieutenant. I mean, she's a mime. I mean, <laughs> you've got the potion, the mare sweat, and Cynics drinks it thinking it's going to, and then he knocks him out. And uh, it, it is, this all leads up to the fake dead body with hysteria. This is not letting up. It's delivering. It doesn't fall flat. And it's also Marcus Lycus is trying to get into the whole joint and failing. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot happening. I might have left some stuff off here, too, because so much is happening in this scene with each of the characters. And they have established their motivations for what they want so well. You know what their personalities are by this point. So you've laid all the infrastructure and it is all paying massive dividend in multiplications of, of like it, everything's happening all at once. And it's more than two plus two. It's two times two times four. It's just like exponential laughs that are building here. I love this scene. Both of you keep describing things from this movie and I'm seeing them and laughing, you know, <laughs> muted, hopefully. And, and one of the things about that is before uh, Cynics drinks the mare sweat, the mare sweat has to get to him. So Hero arrives with the mare sweat. The guard had already been told there's going to be a boy that arrives with mare sweat. And when he arrives, you're supposed to send him up to the green room. And the guards aren't evil. They don't care. That's why they're like two of them are like sleeping, leaning against the wall, and two of them at the front gate are doing a pretty good job. So he arrives. The guy smells the glass. Oh, you're supposed to go upstairs into the green yes. room. <laughs> and he walks by, and like their two spears or their two halberds, whatever they are, are crossed. And he does another excellent pratfall over them and doesn't spill the mare sweat. Like it's everything. It's just boom, 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 right in a row. And it just sometimes hits you where you don't expect. It's, it's great. I like that feeling too. And I want to say Buster Keaton makes, they, as a soothsayer, Sudalus tells him that he must run around the hill seven times. So <laughs> yeah. Buster Keaton just runs across the scene going like, third time. Yes. <laughs> yeah. If you're curious what those weapons were, they are pylum. Pylum? Yes. Short, short spears that you threw. Now, one thing you will get in the theater version that you do not get in this movie version is all seven times the actor will run across the stage and it is progressively funnier watching this man with an old white beard on this costume dash <laughs> dash around the stage so i will say a little that more sounds buster, delightful a little more buster keaton running around the countryside or throughout town which does happen like there are scenes in the play where they are not centric to him at all but he just happens to be running through it's very funny and they use it throughout the play I would say that they don't do it enough here to the point where you might be like, oh, yeah, 
he's running around the countryside. Now, obviously, Rome is huge, so um, it's more realistic, but I still found it. I still found it very funny. His character is important, but not forget because obviously it's the genealogy that ends up saving the day. Right. Best wardrobe or makeup moment, Chad. I really like Aronius's hat. I have no idea why he's wearing it, but it made the costume a whole lot funnier. So his hat. I actually, it, I, I brought it up, or, or no, Chad brought it up earlier. I think that the wardrobe during the, the courtesan show is extremely risky. I didn't go with best. I went with like what stood out the most. And I was like, this did not seem like, I'm not going to say appropriate, but it just seemed way, way out there for the time. And so, like, I wanted to point attention to it. We already did. But that, that was the, the moment that stood out the most. And I, I agreed with what Chad had to say. I just felt like this was the point to, like, bring it up. Like, wow, I, I kind of can't believe they're doing it. So that, that was my moment. Yeah. There are a lot of good little moments in this to choose from. So I had a hard time narrowing it down. So as a simple man, I'm, in t- I'm inclined to say Inga Nielsen is gorgeous in that flowing like midriff kind of thing mm-hmm. that she's got she's got those and that long long hair that that's um that's it's hard not to pick that but for comedy i think domina and her mother <laughs> uh, by by patricia jessel and beatrice layman is just going to the opposite you know <laughs> they are so funny and they are like almost like clowns like their makeups so so <laughs> yeah. strong and it's like kabuki makeup yeah it yeah is. it is they're so funny <laughs> and i i really she's mean and when she's being mean it's funny and i want to see her be mean to other people in town i want to see the merchants and the and the, and the market be like Ugh. Like as she walks away, I you like, want justification for throwing the bust off of the chariot to get away from her. <laughs> yeah, you have to go to the nose sharpener. Yes, Cynix yeah, like, is a dirty old man, but he's well justified to your point, Chad. Of like, there's a there's a um, not just a Peter Boyle like, and everybody loves Raymond of like constantly besmirching his wife. But I mean, there's a legitimate like this lady. <laughs> you know, <laughs> never go on never go on a first date on a total eclipse (laughs) (laughs) point taken what is the likeness of the bust frightening (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's a great one by the way that was a cool ring too the gaggle of keys ring yes the signet at least seven yes uh i love it that that ends up saving the day too i just thought it was so funny i can't marry you we're related and and he finds both of his kids so it's like a it's like a total random it's kismet just everything coming together but change one thing dustin you teased us earlier go ahead and hit us with this we have a lot of fun hijinks coming from the men it's men led show i'd like to see and i know we have gymnasia in a silent role i'd like to see one of the other women show off her cunning more and maybe that's where having domina in the show or in the movie more would be a positive thing i'd like to see a lot more of a horny domina <laughs> that was really good and um there was something russell you said about like oh when the dude runs around and says second time i can see that being having a huge pop in the theater 
but I don't think the movie needed more of it. I think we got just enough of him that we needed. I think there are some things that are like special to the stage show. And so having, if we were to have like Domina, like sort of like trapsing around being like, like fawning over the men, I think that'd be fun, but that's still not quite the same level of like outsmarting or being roguish or cunning. I think it would be nice to have, because I think both Gymnasia and Philia are kind of being led and it would be nice for there to be one of the courtesans to also have like a quick wit. And I don't think we see it that much. That's not a huge change, but I'd like that. I think there's room for it if one of the other quick-witted characters takes a step back. And I think it's possible. If you make this again today in the 2020s, for sure, I think you're going to get strengthening of the women's roles. So, mm-hmm. and, and, and honestly, when you see it in stage format, I mean, yes, Sudalus gets by far the biggest cheers in the final bow, but Domina, whoever plays Domina, always gets a big applause when she comes out to take a bow. Oh, cool. So, Chad, change one thing. Talked about it earlier, but I think just have the courtesans be less stereotypical. And I think you could do this in a fun direction because we have the Gemini twins and they are a fun set. And maybe have the girls do astrological signs, have a Pisces in swimwear, have oh, a Vir- have a Virgo be introduced who is obviously not a virgin. Just go <laughs> in that direction. And I think you've got a funnier thing than look at this black woman from Africa. Look at this Asian woman. Like I like that. I I mean, I don't I'm not as upset by what you're saying because I think that is I mean, honestly, I think playing up themes with a house of flesh um is something that they might steer into even in today's Oh time. yeah. But I I have to admit your zodiac of this very funny. I like that. My change one thing is I need a little bit of the music put back in. I think uh, Free is a good one to put in there. I don't want to, you don't have to put all seven songs back in. Dustin's right. There is some degree of adaptation that for time one must do, but uh, the, the role with Cynics and his dad is something to kid as well. More music. Very good. Yes. Best quote. I think we've been like machine gunning quotes throughout this whole episode. Yeah, we really have. <laughs> but nevertheless, Chad, what's your best quote? Why do all the men find me so attractive? Hysterium in drag. Just <laughs> Neelis is like, oh, you're alive. I'm into you. He's like, what, what is happening here? Yes, I love that the guard is, actually has the hot for Hysterium in drag. It's very yes. nice. Dustin, best quote for you. All right, we really did machine gun so many uh, that it was hard to think of one that hadn't been picked. And I realized that I didn't pick any of Neelis's things that he says even though they're so good but i did go with a hysterium quote which was when he comes up on hero and philia he kind of like pokes his head in on the screen uh, never mind who she is who is she <laughs> that's a dated joke that's like a dated style of wordplay i think which is why i like it so much i like the ditzy moment between hero and, and philia and hero says for us, there will be no happiness. And Philia says, we must learn to be happy without it. <laughs> Love it. Yes. Laying it on thick. I also like these little quick moments. Pseudolus is a never-ending line of good things, so Hero's slow wit is really funny, pairing with Pseudolus of brilliant idea. Yes, 
No, I'm saying we need a brilliant idea. That's what we need. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's good. The mistakes with Hysterium, though, almost all of them make my list, even with erroneous of I, when Hysterium's going, I'm not a virgin. And you hear filthy pirates. <laughs> <laughs> what am I supposed to do? Wait. That's what virgins are best at. I liked, it, I liked it when Erroneous had the foreshadowing when he talked to Hysterium and he says, he says to him, pardon me, ma'am. And yes. later he will be in and dressed oh, up as a woman. Yeah. So when you get that with Philia, it literally means brotherly. So she has a brother. I also loved it when Hysterium's like motioning on the other side of him what, what to say. He's like, one boy and and then he's trying to make like like hand gestures for hair and like be beautiful and then this goes one very strange little boy uh there's so many we could keep going and i'm not i'm not reading from a list uh yeah i got a dud virgin well how do you know well because he also sold me a dud eunuch you're right. The number of things that we said in here without a ton of repeat is actually pretty amazing. And we didn't even say one of the ones that's in the preview. I love it when Pseudolus comes up. He's doing such a good job with gibberish. He's like, <laughs> and so Erroneous had just gotten done saying, I need a soothsayer because he doesn't see well. His Pseudolus just comes up, <laughs> you must, you must need a soothsayer. He goes, how did you know? I'd be a fine soothsayer if I didn't. <laughs> maids like me. I'm neat. I like maids. They're neat. They're neat. All right, you guys. Let's give this thing a rating. Five star scale. Half star intervals. Half star is the worst. Five is the best. Dustin. I really had nothing but positive things to say about it. And that's because I am so easy to put on the correct lenses for watching this movie, I think. Uh, it, it, it comes easy for me and I don't, I don't know if that comes easily for everybody. So I can see how you kind of have to turn your brain to musical romp comedy in order to get this. And then there were still some things that didn't quite make it for me. Like I, I understand the decisions though. I think that I might not have made them all that being said, because, uh, it was like determined in its choices it makes. And some really, really astounding things. I'm going to go with four stars. Great choice. And Chad, how about you? Oh, this is my bailiwick. Like, this is, this is my happy zone. So I'm going to consider Star Wars episode as cheating because Star Wars is Star Wars. That was a special. This is my first five star of the year. I am giving this wow. movie five stars. Loved it. So great short list, Russell. All right. Well, and I'm going to hit right between you guys. I'm going to be 4.5. I will come back to it. And I think my, I, they did something clever where I had a lot of expectations from a play and they did it something different enough that I didn't leave disappointed other than, again, the music. And I think with a little more music staying in there, I think this actually gets all the way up there because I'm like, Chad, I rewatched this. I watched it along. I picked this well in advance um, once once it got selected. So I watched it earlier and then so I came back and watched it again. So I, I watched this a number of times. I got to say the rewatch value is very good. It's the kind of movie I will like to, you know, go back to. Having said that, why don't we go back to another movie next week? Chad, do you want to help me pick a movie for next time? Love to. Mystery, murder, manhunts, Morgan Freeman, and more things that start with the letter M. Mm, boy. Option number one, Kiss the Girls from 1997. 
police hunting for a serial kidnapper are helped when a victim manages to escape for the first time. Option two, along came a spider from 2001. A senator's daughter, under Secret Service protection, is kidnapped from a private school, and Detective Alex Cross investigates the case, even though he's recovering from the loss of his partner. Option three, seven from 1995. Two detectives, a rookie and a veteran, hunt a serial killer who use the seven deadly sins as his motives. All of them have Morgan Freeman. All of them are murderous. What will it be, Chad? Oh, man, I'm such a huge Seven fan, but you know what? I haven't seen Kiss the Girl, so let's go with that one. All right. I believe it was Little Mermaid who said uh, Kiss the Girl, right? Is, is, is it going to be like that then? I hope everyone has Jamaican accents, yes. Yes. If there's not a Jamaican crab in this, I will be disappointed. So, And thank you guys for doing this with me. It was a lot of fun. Thank you, all the Lords, Ladies, and Knights, the Retro Movie Roundtable. We invite you to reach out to us. We want to hear from you. So subscribe, rate, and review to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitchers, Pandora, wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe to us on our YouTube channel, even if you subscribe to us on those other things. That helps grow the show. Give us a like on Facebook, Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at, at movie underscore retro. Email us at retromovieroundtable at yahoo.com. And producing and providing this podcast is fun, but not free. So we invite you to support the show at our Patreon page at www patreon.com forward slash retro movie roundtable all contributions are much appreciated and go towards making the show better for you the listeners as always thank you for listening and be good to each other and watch more movies dustin if one of you was lying in the street bleeding i'd walk by and spit on you <laughs>